Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us again for another episode of the Nicolay Wealth Management Podcast. With me are Mike Steppi, as always, Chief Investment Officer, and Eric Zurich, Senior Investment Strategist at Nicolay. Wow, that's our first podcast or episode of the year. So, Mike, tell us uh, what happened last year, or at least what's been going on over the last month. We've had an interesting time in the markets. And I, when we look back at this, we're going to say it, it was so fascinating because what we were experiencing is the Fed pivoting from tightening policy to an easier monetary policy. And even if you weren't um, sort of reading it day to day, what you see is the markets pop, okay? Uh, when you look at 10-year notes on October 19th, they were trading near 5%. By the, uh, December 27th, they were at 380. So we saw 120 basis point move down in 10-year treasuries. That's an unusual move in a course of about six weeks. The S&P 500 during that same time uh, traded up near all-time highs. When you look at the actual numbers between October 19th and December 27th, the S&P was up 12.12. The Russell 2000, which is the smaller cap stocks, up 21.72. The uh, international developed markets up 13.3. And the emerging markets up 8.84. So what we saw was small caps outperforming the S&P 500, international equity uh, outperforming the S&P 500, and emerging markets lagging. And they, they've been lagging this year. Since then, we've seen a bit of a retracement. So we got this pop. All the good news got priced into the market from, from my vantage point. And so now you've seen the S&P 500 flat. The other benchmarks given up some ground. The 10-year Treasury went from a low of 380 up to 415. So and that's normal. When you get a big move like that, you sort of get a normal bit of a rebound. So what's happening is, again, during this period, the market priced in all kinds of good news. They, they thought, okay, the Fed was had been pushing up rates. Now they're going to start bringing rates down. And so they immediately went to the idea that they're going to cut three times in the first half of the year in 2024 and three times in the second half of the year. Now, the Fed is on record as showing the projections from individual members that show over the course of 2024, they were likely to cut three times, not six. So the market immediately goes to sort of an extreme position. We saw that. We see it in the equity market. S&P 500 got priced at a multiple of 21.8 times projected 2023 earnings. The expectation for earnings growth was up 11.3% that last week of the year. So you just saw sort of things get get carried away and get all, all the positive sentiment that was out there got reflected. And we're sort of adjusting to that now. The basic stuff, when you come back to what's the real economics behind all this, you see the same, these trends that we've talked about in previous podcasts. The economy is growing slowly. 
in the fourth quarter. We're probably going to see somewhere in terms of an annualized pace, 1.2 to 2%, somewhere in that area. For the first quarter of this year, it's going to be more like 1% to 1.5%. And that's being driven by decent consumer uh, spending. So that's, that's been a positive. Inflation is gradually decreasing, up 3.4, consumer price index up 3.4% in 2023. Uh, look at next year projections, thinking 2.5, 2.6%. Labor markets remain strong. Payroll growth has slowed, but consumers are feeling like they've got a job and they're going to continue to have jobs. The unemployment claims are low. So uh, we continue to watch that. The dollar is weakened uh, with the decrease in U.S. rates. It sort of cracks along as, as the 10-year Treasury came down, uh, so did the dollar. When the 10-year Treasury bounced back up a bit, the, the dollar moved with it. Oil prices have come down. You look back in October, we were at about $85 a barrel. Now we went down to about 70. Now we're at about $75 a barrel for West Texas Intermediate. So it's been a really interesting time in the market. Well, it sounds like we have a lot to talk about today, Mike. I'm going to come back to you, Mike, in just a second with an inflation question, but I want to grab Eric here and just comment a little bit about the, well, throughout 2023 related to the top 10 stocks really leading the way and what you see for concentration in 2024. Yeah, it, it really was an historic year. Um, but it let, let's, I think sometimes it helps to take a step back. Like what exactly is market concentration? And you, you may hear those, you might hear that term. Um, it's really just a handful of companies um, providing the investment return for a broad market. Um, and that's contrasted to, you know, wide participation amongst many members in a particular market. So this is widely followed, uh, followed um, for the insight it really provides to assess the validity of market performance. So if there's numerous stocks contributing to returns, then it's thought to be very sustainable. Um, on the other hand, uh, if, if markets are supported by just a few stocks, it tends to lack validity. Uh, last year, uh, investors uh, did not waver um, from this concentrated return profile until, you know, at the very end of the year, as, as Mike mentioned, um, only demanding a sort of a narrow specific set of characteristics uh, that those 10 stocks represented it. So what were those characteristics? Well, they're, they're companies with high cash levels, uh, low interest expense, um, industry leadership, uh, high returns on capital. Um, and, and these characteristics share one thing in common, earning stability amid some economic uncertainty. Uh, sustainability um, of the relative performance, I think, should be questioned as we move forward. Um, and to give you some facts behind this, only once has there been an instance greater than last year's extreme performance difference in the last 30 years. Um, however, fundamental and valuation trends uh, give some reason for pause. Um, the concentration of the largest 10 stocks in the market has more than doubled in the last eight years, so, uh, or almost doubled, sorry, from 17% to 32% in 2023. Um, while that relative weight of the market has increased, um, earnings actually have not followed at the same pace. Um, the current earnings contribution of the market totals about 22% 
only up from 16 in 2016. So you can see that wide disparity. Uh, and the valuation as a result has untethered from the overall market and trades at about 28% more than the historical average for those top 10 stocks. Um, I, I think it always helps to kind of put this in context. Where you start is more important than where you finish. Um, and to kind of finish this off about what we expect going forward too, um, you know, two things can be true at the same time. It's unreasonable to expect the largest weighted stocks to you know, live up to those valuations um, while not expecting them to precede any sort of market downturn. Um, you know, as we always know, markets go in cycles. Um, and after vast dispersions in the past, um, the remaining members of the market typically play catch up to those top 10 weighted stocks. Um, one example, and this is recent history too, uh, 2020 and 2021, that uh, rally in growth that we saw led to value our performance. Um, if the economy provides a suitable backdrop for earnings expansion, which is what the market's expecting, uh, the stock market's least resistance uh, should be higher. I love it. That's some good information. I was taking notes and trying to keep up, but man, that was a lot of useful stuff, Eric. Thank you. Um, what we're trying to do here. I'm coming back to you with inflation, at least presumably when we see rates or talk of rates being cut or stabilized, it's an indicator that the Fed at least sees it as inflation slowing down. Um, and maybe that soft landing is in sight. Rates have ticked back up, you said, kind of into that 415 range. What does that suggest for inflation going forward? Well, what we've seen is that inflation has been coming down. If you look back over the last 18 months, we were up as high as 9%. And now we're down, um, you know, the, the last reading at 3.4% in terms of growth over the previous 12 months. So the, so we've seen a decrease in inflation. The projections are that those decreases will continue. And the problem with inflation has been that we're always talking about these increases. So if you go back four years and look at the inflation data, what you see is the inflation is up 19.36%. Now, most wages didn't keep up with that. So that's why people are feeling some pressure is that their expenses, their, their costs of everything have gone up at that kind of a pace. And it's been a, a struggle to have uh, their, their income keep up with their, with what's increasing in terms of prices. So yes, inflation's coming down, but it doesn't feel great when you still see those pressures hitting you. So, Mike, when we think of inflation, and you mentioned it, it probably wages haven't kept up with that 19.3% um, over that period of time, does that suggest that, well, maybe not suggest, do you think that means that wages are going to do some catch-up time here, and maybe that continues to keep the, the consumer stronger, or is it just generally that we might not see wages keep up with inflation over time? I think the first thing it does is it affects sentiment, but you're seeing the sentiment numbers now going up. So that's a positive. I think um, you will see as inflation comes down, wages will continue to be higher for a bit longer. So I think there will be some catch up. That makes sense. It's kind of a smoothing function wages. Uh, Eric, I'll come back to you and I'll tie in something you mentioned about the uh, top 10 and the concentration or that... Um, the concentration is uniquely high right now, but 
the earnings for those companies haven't supported the growth in concentration there. And maybe broaden this question out about what do you see for um, growth rate of earnings more generally for the S&P? But then a specific question of do you see the mega cap stocks, so that's top 10, closing the gap on earnings, meaning their growth rate's just going to be so strong that it justifies the concentration? Or is it more of a kind of mean reversion? Yeah, I'll I'll answer your your uh, questions as they were asked. Um, the the Ford earnings uh, forecast for the um, for 2024 and 2025 um, really has they've really been the you know kind of the driver for the recent uh, positive market sentiment. Um, double digit growth over the next two years, so this year and in 2025 of 10 percent and 12 percent. Um, you know, earnings uh, expectations are partially expected to rise alongside sales growth um, with really actually the primary catalyst being rising profit margins. Um, and kind of what does that mean? It's, you know, what are we, what are companies earning from their, their sales? Um, but profitability um, has primarily been driven by declining costs. Um, so about 70% of that earnings or margin expansion um, has been due to, um, you know, declining costs um, since 1990. Um, while passing along costs to customers, it was really early, uh, was easy early on the business cycle. Um, and, you know, as Mike mentioned, higher costs tend to play catch up um, and weigh on profitability. Um, profit margins have come down since peaking at the beginning of, of 2022, but margins rising to levels set um, during 2022 um, without pricing power uh, seems to be a tough hurdle. Um, consistent with, you know, so this is sort of answering your next question. Um, consistent with recent return catalysts, uh, the, the market's earnings profile is expected to be supported by those largest weighted stocks going forward. Um, so the top seven, top, sorry, top seven stocks by market weight are expected to grow 20% and 16% in 2024 and 2025. While the kind of the value stocks are those with the lower growth and lower valuation are expected to have single digit growth over the next two years. So the bar is set high for the largest wave stocks to prop up the market going forward. Um, and, uh, you know, that's sort of what the expectation is uh, to, as for the drivers of returns as we move ahead. That's really interesting. Obviously, we saw some divergence in the U.S., which actually wasn't that big between, say, the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000, so large and small cap. But emerging markets, all of them are not created equally, it appears. Can you give us some detail on what's been going on in the last or in 2023 and what you see ahead? Yeah, um, yeah, it, it's sort of interesting. Um, you know, if you look at what the return was for emerging markets, it was somewhere right around 10 percent in 2023, which you know trailed the S&P 500 index. Um, you know, one reason for that performance diversion is, you know, largely a result of what we saw in the U.S. There's still this preference for U.S. mega cap technology stocks. Um, you know, as I mentioned, invest investors have preferred stability over everything else. Uh, so those, those companies able to grow, notwithstanding the environment. So those are things like interest rates, economic growth, geopolitical concerns. Um, you know, you, you know, the list is very long. Um, but that wasn't the entire story, actually. If you sort of look at the internals of EM performance, it actually didn't look that bad, um, you know, on a relative basis to the S&P 500. So 
India, Taiwan, South Korea, Brazil. Those are the top four out of the five weighted weighted, um, countries of EM had strong returns, more than 20% last year. So EM's performance in 2023, it was dragged down actually by the largest weight, and that's China. Uh, the reasons for China's poor showing last year, you know, are numerous. Uh, were numerous. Whether it's you know poor economic outlook, on you know a preference to deleverage, um, you know concerns over you know real estate bankruptcies, um, weak private business sentiment, you know, on top of this worsening corporate governance, um, you know, there's a lack of faith from investors with investors' um, interests going forward. Uh, but let's let's look at the positives. I think there's so many positives in in this group. Um, you know, why did EM seemingly perform well? And these are some catalysts going forward. Um, you know, first of all, the you know artificial intelligence revolution um, is not just only impacting companies in the U.S. but also globally. Um, those countries uh, largely benefit from a global semiconductor cycle with you know AI investing in this frenzy. Um, also, India's economy is largely closed, insular, uh, not as exposed to the trials of, um, you know, of Chinese economic weakness. Um, and its, its own long-term outlook is positive, just based on demographics. Um, most of these EM economies tend to perform relatively well on better global economic activity, um, while 2023 um, wasn't robust just globally. Um, EM, EM interest rates cuts help ease the headwinds um, that those economies have faced. So, um, you know, it, it was a strong, strong 2023. And, you know, there's certainly some demographics if you look within the, um, within the, the EM space that there's, there's some reason to be um, optimistic on the space going forward. I like it. Quite the uh, spread there. I'll come back to you in a minute with... Um kind of small cap versus large for 23 and going into 24. But Mike, I would ask you an off script question. So feel free to avoid it and then just move on to the next question. So my first question is going to be, though, related to what Eric mentioned. I might get the number a little off, but I think he said something like 70% of the earnings growth over the last decade or so has been more a product of cost reductions than, say, top line growth. So that margin expansion, more productive cost reductions. And it makes me think of what might our deflation number be if the Fed or the Treasury weren't able to just increase the money supply indefinitely. Can you maybe think for a second about where we might see prices move in concert with that thought from Eric? If companies have been so effective at reducing costs overall, what might we see as an actual reduction in cost of living independent of the money supply expansion annually? And so that you have the ability to dodge that question, my actual next question for you was related to when the Fed might start actually cutting rates. I, I love this first question, so I'll, I'll jump into that. Uh, when you look at this, you know, companies are really using scale. And so, you know, we sort of forget that, that, you know, when you look at these large companies and what they're able to do and how they're using technology and the one of the problems is we have difficulty measuring productivity. And but we're, when you look at things, you just look at your day to day life 
You just become more productive. And all of that, you know, leads to companies able to cut prices. The other thing is, I think companies have become much more astute at managing their capital position um, and managing their their sort of their whole balance sheet. You know, we look at, at Nicolet, we look at corporations when in when cost of carrying inventory was really low because interest rates were low companies held larger inventory levels when the cost of all of a sudden having inventory they're borrowing against that and the cost has gone way up man they got much more efficient in managing that and so i i think just the sophistication level of companies has improved you add that to scale you add that to technology and you're going to get cost decreases and they we may not be at the end of that cycle we may there may be more as as we amp up productivity and as we use technology better and we're just able to do more things so i think this is the fascinating part of what's going on in the world and how it's going to impact the financial market so i think it, i think that's the right question to be asking i like it well, then, uh, thank you for tackling that one. As we look at the, and I think you mentioned at the beginning, something around the market forecasting six rate cuts and the Fed saying maybe more like three. We've already seen some stabilization yeah. there with, you mentioned rates ticking up to kind of 415. What is your thought for the rest of 24? It's, it's going to be interesting to watch because it's it's not so much you don't want to look at your own opinion. What you want to look at is what are the Fed members going to do? Those uh, those nineteen people who are in the room, and um, they're a, a cautious lot. So I think you're going to be, you know, it might be three or four cuts that we would see this year. Um, the when you look back, just two weeks ago, people were thinking the first cut had an 85% probability of happening in March. Now, that probability is 50-50 and sort of sliding uh, lower. So, you know, if, if you have, if I have to guess, I'm going to say, wow, the first rate cut's going to be in the second quarter. It's going to be at the May meeting or the June meeting. Probably the May meeting uh, would be a guess. And I, I would hazard a guess that there'll be four rate cuts during the course of this year. So overnight rates are currently trading at 5.33. And I think at the end of the year, they'll be trading at 4.33. And I would guess that you'll have a yield curve that'll be relatively flat. And you'll see things getting priced around that four and a quarter sort of level. And we'll go from an inverted curve to maybe more of a flat curve. Wow, it feels like normalization. What a thing that would be the last few years we've been uh, living with this weird world that we keep saying it has to normalize someday. I'm glad it's now on the forecast as a possibility. Uh, Eric, I'll come back to you just for a second uh, related to um, small cap versus large cap. We touched on it a bit, but maybe a, a short commentary on that for 23 and what you see for 24. Yeah, this is a perfect segue. Um, so you know, we, we talked this, you know, market concentration earlier and, and Mike mentioned, um, you know, the, the sort of the catch up rally that we had with small caps and recovering some of the outperformance, um, small caps outperform large caps by 8%. Um, 
you know, interest rates, as Mike mentioned, played a big role behind this this outsized move. Um, the ten-year Treasury yield declined about one point two percent during that period. So, kind of, why is this the determining factor? Well, for small caps, have more debt than large caps, um, and but it's not just more debt; it's the fact that they're short-term in nature, um, and that it needs to be renewed frequently, um, increasing this degree of sensitive, sensitivity to interest rates. Um, also helping the performance was the catalyst behind that rate move. Rates didn't move lower because they're pricing in lower growth expectations. Small caps are more geared towards you know, cyclical sectors like financials and industrials. So if expectations for growth remain stable, uh, but rates come down, it shouldn't be a surprise that the environment becomes favorable for small caps. And on top of this favorable economic environment, um, you know, small caps have a relatively better valuation. So how much investors are willing to pay for future earnings growth? Um, it's currently trading at a 50% valuation discount to large cap stocks. So any of these catalysts that we've, we've mentioned, small caps will be aided by how cheap the asset class, because like anything, we want this degree of safety. And that's what investors are finding in small cap. Um, as I said earlier, when I was, when I was discussing um, you know, the concentration in the market, if there's a fundamental reason, stocks typically benefit. And small caps have actually the supportive re- revenue generation that's expected to match the large cap segment um, over the next couple of years. I think that's a perfect answer that ties into something I'll misquote, but related to where you end might depend a lot on where you start that you said earlier about yep. buying at a 50% discount in valuations of small caps sounds pretty attractive. Well, this is really great, guys. I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. I know the audience does. I'll turn it over to you, Eric, for some parting thoughts. Well, um, you know, it, it's it's certainly, the, the last year was certainly a very interesting year. Um, kind of, it was kind of a tale of, you know, Two halves, right? The the first half, it was all about this concern over, um, you know, inflation, and that kind of tailed off um, at the end of the year. Um, and it, it certainly feels like you know we're going into this new environment, um, you know, of of some uh, of more calm, um, you know, steadiness, um, which is a, a positive for investors. Well, calm steadiness, I love it, Mike. What are your parting thoughts? I'm excited about the new year. I think it's going to have a lot of interesting dynamics. When I look at it, I think we are getting a slowing in economic growth. And I think with that, you're the when the economy is growing at 3%, a shock can sort of be absorbed. I think it gets harder when you're closer to, to flat growth and or no growth. And so I think it's gonna that's gonna lead to some volatility or swings in the market as people get nervous about things. You add to that a presidential election year and the dynamics going on around that, I think it's gonna be a fascinating year. I agree. We're gonna have a lot to talk about. Thanks everybody for joining us and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks.